Welcome to Bite Size, brought to you by Priestley's Gourmet Delights. Each episode will bring you ideas, news and insights into the food service industry with a Bite Size Summary. I'm Zanny Christopherson and I will be your host. Today, we're going to do something a little different for Bite Size. We're going to share a story particularly close to our hearts here at Priestley's. The story of how we began. So join us as we chat with Priestley's Gourmet Delights founder and board member, Marilyn Jones. From delivering cakes out of her station wagon in 1992 to becoming the founder of one of the biggest gourmet delight suppliers in Australia, Marilyn's story is truly special and a testament to her dedication, creativity and persistence. In this episode, we'll dive into how Priestley's was born, the hurdles of starting a business, the art of taking risks and the importance of being an innovator and change maker. Whether you own a business or want to start a business, this is the episode for you. So without further delay, welcome Marilyn to Bite Size. So Marilyn, let's start by telling us a little bit about your career and journey before Priestley's Gourmet Delights. Thanks, Sand, for having me. So tell us a little bit about your career and the journey before Priestley's Gourmet Delights. I was um, left school and did a very typical of our era career of nursing. And then once I became a registered nurse. I specialised in midwifery and that was my whole nursing career. I spent a lot of time in Sydney and then we came to Brisbane in 1984 and was a nurse unit manager at Sunnybank Private Hospital and I was involved in um, nursing um, professional organisations such as the Queensland Midwives, the Fellow College of Nursing, etc., And I was in charge of a private maternity unit, and it was a very, very successful maternity unit. But by the time I came to the end of that, I was fried. I was burned because I had put so much everything that I was doing. We'd bought some land on the Sunshine Coast and were moving up there. However, we still had to have an income from me. My brother at this time was had a business called Priestley's Fine Foods, which were some of the cakes that we currently still have. And I remember this Easter in 1992 when my brother and my husband, Peter, said, you should sell some cakes on the Sunshine Coast. And I thought, right. Anyway, it came to pass. I finished at Sunnybank on um, August 1992, and then... My first cakes that I sold on the Sunshine Coast were the 13th of November, 1992. In that period of time where I wasn't working and before I started selling cakes, I did a small business course at the Maroochydore TAFE at night time to set me up on business principles, I suppose. And I also spent a lot of time in Priestley's kitchen. So I could tell you everything about the ingredients and methods, etc., decoration of what they were doing with those cakes. So that set me up for a really good background, I think. Anyway, so November 1992, it was a Volvo sedan. I got in that car and I started selling cakes. How did you know there was a market for it up in the well, Sunshine Coast? Well, the Sunshine Coast? Coast in 1992 was Beaches and Bush, 
pretty yes. well, you know. Yes. There was nobody who was selling those sort of cakes on the Sunshine Coast. But how did you pick it? Because you think about entrepreneurship, you usually have to do a lot of market research, understand the opportunity. And it feels like just from listening to what you've just told me is that you guys saw an opportunity. But how did. did you see it? How, how did you see it? it? Because Peter and I are both foodies. We check things out and we knew that those products were being made in Brisbane had an opportunity on the Sunshine Coast. So I just ran with it. Yeah. So Mal, it takes a special kind of person to recognise that they don't know what they don't know. So how did you decide to go and do this business course and then really take that leap of faith of what you did know, which was maternity wards, and it sounds like you were very successful in that, Mm -hmm. to start your own business? Well, I never thought I could fail. That would be the overreaching thing. And I was making sure that I had everything organised so that I didn't. So I knew my products. I knew I presented well. And that business background, now this is even, we didn't have a computer at home. We didn't even have a mobile phone. We had a fax machine. Like <laughs> What's this. that? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. But that's, that's what we did. And I had a portfolio, as it was called, which was a large folder with a size four colour photographs of the product. On the other page of that was the product description. So that was my marketing tool. And I guess the fact that the products, and they still are today, were made by a French pastry chef, right? In the beginning, some of the original products were made by a very well-known, as it turns out, pastry chef in Brisbane called Philip Priestley, Mm -hmm. and he developed some of those products. The finesse on some of those products became John Luke, who was our executive pastry chef, who was French, who came with the business when we took over in January 1996. Yeah, and I know for myself that the recipes are still original. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and part of the reason why we're known for our quality products. Okay, so let's just delve a little bit more into what are some of the challenges you faced when you started your business? Oh, well, remember the cakes were at Milton in Brisbane and we were just out in the country from Nambour. So... We had to get them from Brisbane to the Sunshine Coast. And I made a conscious decision that I was going to offer customer service. That would be my biggest thing. As far as the cakes were concerned, I was very, very happy with those. But it was the customer service that I was going to set myself apart from Mm -hmm. in that situation. So I would ring customers and then deliver as I said I would. And it was different (laughs) to how I had seen chefs and hospitality like that to me was really loose and I'm not a loose person. So I was all over the aspect of making sure that what I said I was going to do, I did, Mm -hmm. whether I turned myself inside out or what. Anyway, so the customers all got rung and if they didn't answer or if they didn't give me an order, I made sure I rang them back, etc. I accepted late orders, much to the distress of where they were making the cakes in Brisbane because once we started and there was a momentum, Mm. it just blew their numbers out of the water Mm -hmm. in Brisbane. I was very, very fortunate in that Peter was working in Brisbane and after he finished his work, he would go across to Milton and pack the cakes up and then he would bring them home. Yeah. So 
that was huge. So at that point in time, they were fresh cakes that you're they delivering were, yeah, to the they Sunshine were all Coast fresh market. Cakes, yep. And they weren't designed probably to be running around in a broccoli box in the back of <laughs> the Volvo. But anyway, we didn't even have cake boxes, and I introduced Glad Wrap. Yeah. To them. Yeah. So fast forward to our journey today. Huge. It is. It's such a transformation. So can you give us some key steps that helped us transform from the journey out of the back of your car, where we're in (laughs) polystyrene boxes, to the brand that we are today? Well, first of all, we're in a very, very small manufacturing, Mm -hmm. um, we'd say kitchen, in Milton. We moved across to Wellington Road, East Brisbane. We started our cakes in boxes fairly early on, once we were Priestleys and I wasn't on the Sunshine Coast, we were in Brisbane and we were Priestleys Gourmet Delights, we started getting, being able to effectively buy our raw ingredients and we always, but always had top level ingredients. So we were getting a cost effectiveness, if you like, on how we were buying our ingredients. We were innovators in that. Peter and I did lots of overseas, not lots, but we went to trade shows overseas to see what was going on and we were able to source what was going on over there and bring them back to here. And I don't know whether you remember this, but back in the day in the early 1990s, early 2000s, chocolate discs were a big thing. And so we brought that into the country. Our biggest thing that we saw when we went to these trade shows was the equipment. Mm. And that was groundbreaking for us because we changed from small ovens, small mixers, and a lot of handheld stuff to be able to mechanize some of the things that we were doing. And our cutting equipment, we were the innovators with bringing in equipment to cut slices and also to cut pre-portioned cakes. And then it was being able to resource the business with the people with whom we were working. I've listened to the story many times and I always, the one thing that stands out in my head is you guys were always like, yes, in the face of no. So you always say yes, now what was the question? So can you chat us through how that worked in the early days and how that built um, Priestley's to where we are today? Well, If you listen to me, maybe you get a little bit of an understanding, but I had an executive pastry chef, Jean-Luc Regard, whom I worked with very, very closely, who was fearless, absolutely fearless. So if we even mentioned something, he would go out and whip something up and bring it back to us. I have a photograph of him with one of our top sellers, which was a blueberry brulee cheesecake. We thought that we needed a... um, We'd seen um, brulee work, you know, which was um, torching everything. And he, he, this was earlier in the day, and he came in that afternoon with this magnificent-looking cheesecake that had been the blueberries baked in it, and then he'd torched it, so it was brulee. It's still one of our um, good sellers. That was the sort of person he was. When I was Gourmet Delights, we had cookies from another company, and We decided one afternoon, this is Tony, Peter and I, we should make cookies ourselves rather than buy them in and then put a markup on them. So John Luke was told to make some white macadamia chocolate cookies and some chocolate cookies. 
Anyway, it all happened in the afternoon. It was just a, it was a great thing. Okay, so you've just told us a great story about how you saw some products, you decided to manufacture them, and then we've just launched our first savoury range. Yes. How do you feel about that? Very excited. Very, very excited. I think there's a need for it in the market. We're doing sweet, but there's a whole market that's savoury because not everybody will go in and get a coffee or tea or a chai and want a friand or a muffin or a piece of cake or a biscuit. They want something else. And we've got four new savoury muffins that I think will really, really hit the spot. Yeah, mm. and they're gluten-free as well. And we've all got of a, them. All mm. of them are gluten-free and one vegan one, so really hitting that vegan market. Yeah, yeah. It's exciting, Mal. You are listening to Bite Sized, insights for the food service industry. Brought to you by Priestley's Gourmet Delights. What's your most proudest moment over your career, Jenny? We stepped back from the business in 2006 and it was Tony, Pete and I with Jude very much in the wings helping us to be successful as we were. But to see what the business has been able to achieve since 2006, probably since we stepped back, and our latest journey in the last couple of years with rebranding, resourcing our business with some really, really key top-level people. We have a very, very good functioning board of which the four shareholders are on. It's just excitement all around. And of course, the big one is that we're about to move into a new facility over at Research Street, Acacia Ridge. To see that and to think where we came from and the place where we started life, Hughes Terrace in Milton, was probably as big as this floor plan in here. Mm, yeah. What a journey, hey? And it's our biggest investment to date. So it's such a credit to you. Well, it's got to gotta work, Zan, because I don't want to be a lollipop lady. <laughs> because, you know, you had to have in the back of your mind somewhere that if it didn't work, what were you going to do? Yeah. And I'd promised him that I would not fall back into midwifery. I said, well, I don't want to be a lollipop lady, Pete. Yeah. Yesterday, we had a 25-year service award for one of our staff members in which one of my favourite things hearing out of his mouth was that you were never too afraid to go into the dish room, regardless of how stacked up it would be. So I think a lollipop lady would probably be okay, Mal. You'd at least keep your hands nice. <laughs> I went into that dish room so that he didn't walk out of that dish room. <laughs> You've got no idea in those days, don't you? Yeah, it's so great to hear, though, how despite being a founder of one of our biggest gourmet delight suppliers, you know, how humble you are. So one of the questions that I'm really curious about, what advice would you give to female business owners? Know your business. Know what you're trying to achieve. Educate yourself so that you can talk about every facet of what you're trying to achieve. And then surround yourself with people who can do things much better than you can do. Mm -hmm. So we had a great salesperson in Peter. Tony looked after the business administration of the business, and I looked after everything else. So it was really easy, you know. <laughs> what a wonder woman. <laughs> Well, I would say to you that there's 11 years of my life that I can't tell you lots of detail because I was so immersed in that business and 
to see where it is now, I'm ever so grateful. I think that's a really good point and it links back to what you said before about small business, right? It's not an eight to four job. It turns into your life and your baby. So what was in your past career that led you to be so successful in this journey? Well, I'm not sure it's about success per se, Zan, but the person who was able to at 37 years old, take on, start a business and subsequently be very successful with that was a person who had been working with women in midwifery and up against a lot of males, as in the obstetricians and the paediatricians, etc. And I had to be a spokeswoman for or an advocate for the woman who was in labour. And that journey took me right out of my comfort zone as far as not allowing things to happen that could have happened. And when I became in charge of the maternity unit, I had to be a spokeswoman for everybody concerned there. And I was advocating for the staff with whom I worked. And I became very, very protective of making sure that their ability to work in that environment was successful. So that when I moved into small business, Priestley's, and I was running around the Sunshine Coast. It was just me. But then when we took over the business and it became Priestley's Gourmet Delights, looking after those staff was paramount. So yesterday you were out in the production floor and um, I know that there are so many females out there that were looking to you as inspiration because they were like, oh my God, our founder's coming through. She's actually coming down onto the production floor to say hi. So I bet that was a little bit of a, to hear that sort of sentiment come around the business must make you feel very proud. So Mal, the food service industry is incredibly male dominant. How did you overcome that? Just push through. I don't believe that I took no for an answer. There are lots and lots of times that I made appointments, you know, because I was trying to be professional with chefs. I would turn up for these appointments and they wouldn't be there. So I made another appointment and tried again. Now, there was one particular chef of a particular place that I was particularly trying to get. It took me five times. And I wasn't used to that because I'd been in charge of a maternity ward and I dictated what was going on. Nobody dictated to me. Mm. And here I was in this situation. So I just really dealt with it. I felt that I had really good working relationships with the men, and I believe that I treated them as equals. You know, I didn't look up to them. They were as good as I was, Yeah, I thought. And I think that's really important, right, because there are still glass ceilings to break, mm. and, you know, we are equal. Mm. My big, big hope, wish, etc., is that my strength in being able to see Priestley's as it is now is that that is carried through from executive leadership team to the senior leadership team and then the next generation of young women who are coming through that they are nurtured and made sure to feel as though they're empowered to be successful. And do you have any other last thoughts or important messages that you'd like to give anyone thinking about starting a business? Well, I think that the journey, it's not easy. Mm. It's not easy. And don't go into it if you think that you can do an eight to four, Monday to Friday. 
the biggest thing about small business is you're on all the time. You're thinking about it, right? How you're going to improve it. How can you get keep it ticking over so that you can keep progressing? And I think that as a woman, you have to be prepared to, well, you don't have to be, but I think that it's part and parcel is that the expectation is that you're still doing lots of other things as well. Mm, definitely. There's still some glass ceilings to break there. There is. But I think that the women I see coming through the business now, they're breaking those glass ceilings and they seem to be doing it younger and younger. And um, I take my hat off to all of you. Thanks, Marilyn. My other big thing is treat everybody how you would like to be treated yourself. That's my bottom line. Yeah, absolutely. Today we've heard from Priestley's Gourmet Delights founder, Marilyn Jones. Thank you so much. We're so grateful that you've been here today on the show to share your story with us. And if I can wrap it up in four points, here are the main things that I took away, which is always say yes in the face of no. Might be scary, Mm -hmm. but you've got nothing to lose and you've got to back yourself. You've got to be fearless and be bold. Doesn't matter whether you're male or female. If you're not fearless and you're not bold, Mm. you can't take the steps. You're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. So really know and be self-aware of your blind spots Mm -hmm. and never take no for an answer. I would have hated to be that chef where you turned up five times and you finally got your hands on him. So thank you so much for your time today, Mal. It's been a pleasure. You missed one, Zan. You missed one. Go on. That would be do unto others as you would have them do to you. That's bottom line on everything that I try and do. Great point. Thanks so much for your time, Mal. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's bite-sized episode. We hope you got some industry insights and tips for your business. Subscribe to our podcast and tune in to our next episode. Feel free to reach out to me for any comments and questions via LinkedIn.